Good morning. This is Dr. Navesh Kandil and Change Healthcare welcomes you to the podcast series to get healthcare leaders' perspectives on the impact from a business perspective of COVID-19. This morning, I have the pleasure to speak with Deborah J. Bowen, who's the president and CEO of the American College of Healthcare Executives, and Carrie Owen Pleats, who's the executive vice president of Wellstar Health Systems in Marietta, Georgia. Just to give you a brief introduction to who Deborah and Carrie Owen are, I'd like to just go through who they are and what they've done and where they are today, and then we'll get into the conversation around the topic of COVID-19, which is front and center with everybody in healthcare today, and almost on everybody's mind pretty much every given moment of the day based on the gravity of what we're dealing with. Ms. Bowen is the president and CEO of the American College of Healthcare Executives, an international professional society with more than 48,000 healthcare executives who lead hospitals, healthcare systems, and other healthcare organizations. With comprehensive programs in credentialing, education, career counseling, publications, and research, ACHE works towards its goal of being the preeminent professional society for leaders dedicated to improving health. Before her appointment as president and CEO in 2016, Ms. Bowen served as the ACHE's executive vice president and COO since 2003. She served as the Vice President of Administration at the ACHE from 1994 to 2000 and as a Director of Government Relations from 1992 to 1994. Ms. Bowen has held several leadership positions, including chairing the boards of the Association Forum of Chicagoland and the Commission of Accreditation of Healthcare Management Education. She currently serves on the board of the Institute for Diversity and Health Equity and is the president-designate of the International Hospital Federation. Ms. Bowen is certified in healthcare management and a fellow of both the ACHE and the American Society of Association Executives. She's also a Baldridge Executive Fellow and Certified Association Executive. She received her master's degree in business administration from Loyola University, Chicago, and master's degree in science from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and completed an executive program in the healthcare management at The Ohio State University. Carrie, before joining Wellstar in 2016, she was the CEO and the COO of Sutter Medical Center in Sacramento, the COO of Sutter Mills Peninsula Hospital in Burlingame, California. Previously, she served on multiple roles in the Sutter, California Pacific Medical Center, San Francisco. Carrie also serves as chairman-elect of the ACHE. She's board certified in management as an ACHE fellow. Previously, she was a regent and a chapter president and also on numerous committees. In 2010, she received the ACHE Robert S. Hudgens Memorial Award for Young Healthcare Executive of the Year. In addition to service to ACHE, she's a member of the Virginia Commonwealth University Healthcare Administration Alumni Committee and the Executive Committee of Healthcare Executive Study Society. She previously served on the boards of the California State March of Dimes, the Sacramento Rotary, and other nonprofit boards. Carrie earned a fellowship in health law and a master's degree in health administration from VCU and the Medical College of Virginia campus, and a Bachelor of Science in Health Administration from James Madison University, where she graduated magna cum laude with distinction. Again, I would like to say thank you to Deborah and Carrie for being available today, especially during the time that we're dealing with COVID-19 and how busy both of them are with leading their organizations and the challenges associated with what's going on today and what we've been dealing with for the past few months. With that, I'd like to jump into it and Carrie, I'd like to start with you and 
get a little bit of a better idea of how your teams and what you've seen on the front lines during this historic time in healthcare. Will you be able to give us an overview of your organization, the WellSAR system itself, and the response associated with COVID-19 and how your organization has been able to handle it? I know that's a pretty loaded question and there's a lot to go into, but I'm sure some things over the course of the last few months have probably come to the forefront of your mind as you started the process and where you are today, and we'd love to hear from you on that. Thank you so much, and thank you for the wonderful introduction, and it's wonderful to serve on the panel with Deb, who I've respected for um, very, very many years. First, before I jump into talking a little bit about Wellstar, I just want to say thank you to everybody at uh, Change Healthcare and for everybody who's listening who has also served on the front lines or supported those who are on the front lines. Um, It's incredibly meaningful to the individuals who are taking care of not only the patients who have COVID today, have had COVID and recovered, um, but also the patients and the family members who we serve day in and day out. Um, It has been a challenging time for all of us. Um, I don't think anybody has been immune from this uh, pandemic. So thank you. Uh, So let me jump a little bit into uh, Wellstar. Uh, Wellstar is one of the largest um, health systems in uh, Georgia. We are based out of Marietta, Georgia, which is a little bit north of Atlanta. We serve most of Metro uh, Atlanta. We've got 11 hospitals, about 300 plus medical office locations, nine cancer centers, just to give you a sense of the breadth, 55 rehab centers, hospice, retirement village, Uh, which we'll talk a little bit about because we've got three nursing homes, which COVID has definitely impacted the nursing homes nationwide, perhaps more so in other locations, Uh, imaging centers, urgent care locations, and we have five health parks, which are essentially um, hospitals without uh, inpatient beds. Our uh, mission at Wellstar is to enhance the health and well-being of every person we serve and our vision is to deliver world-class healthcare to every person, every time. And I highlight those two uh, statements because in both of them is the word um, every person um, and service. And um, now uh, more than ever, we have focused in on ensuring that we treat uh, all of our patients and all of our team members with uh, dignity and and respect, Um, and we've had to do things a little bit differently in some cases than we have previously, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, We started uh, the COVID journey and initiated what uh, many of you on the phone will hear or on the podcast will hear is um, hospital incident command um, in response to um, when we first heard um, out of China about um, the possibility of of, um, the coronavirus and COVID-19, as it was um, uh, then became known as. We actually initiated our hospital incident command system at the system level in in actually uh, mid-January, which I think in some cases may have been a little bit ahead of the curve, and I am so thankful for the, the our supply chain and for our teams on the ground who saw a possibility of this um, uh, coming forward and uh, were fast to the trigger to initiate um, HICS. We then progressed um, after we started the HICS in January 
um, really trying to stock up on possibilities for uh, PPE, for, for um, protection um, and equipment, knowing that this was going to be impacting our critical care more so than uh, perhaps our medical surgical units. Uh, and then we progressed um, as uh, January went through and February, we started to learn more and more. It wasn't until late February, um, we had initiated the global level of, of HICS at the, again at the system level, but then in late February, we um, started initiating our hospital-based HICS structures um, at each one of our locations. Um, looking at our stock and supply of PPE, our, um, our access to um, be able to expand our critical care capacity, uh, looking at our policies and procedures around uh, visitation, around um, uh, um, how we were going to be treating uh, this uh, new uh, infection. Um, in particular, how we were going to have to change our electronic health records, how we were going to change our um, treatment protocols, uh, how to install a boatload of HEPA filters <laughs> and change a lot of space into negative pressure. We got very creative and I would say very early on. So I think, um, but, in the, but back to what I started with, which is our mission and vision, um, we've kept at the center of every decision that we have made is what is in the best interest of um, our patients, both those who are COVID, those who are patients under investigation, or those patients who have needed us all along from the heart attacks to the strokes, um, every patient, as well as ensuring that we keep our team members, uh, team members safe. So I probably could talk for about uh, 24 hours straight about this, um, but I think that is a good starting point. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And you're absolutely right. Being prepared for something like this is almost impossible. We, going into a crisis like this, nobody knew how bad it was going to get. Nobody knew how organizations were going to have to deal with various situations associated with this. Georgia has approximately 40,000 cases in the United States, 1,600 deaths, unfortunately. And the challenges associated with dealing with a crisis like this um, falls on the shoulders of the leaders of the organizations to be able to have the great teams and leadership to be able to leverage and lean on, which sounds like you all have at Wellstar, and it's really, really wonderful to hear how you've been able to manage that. You have approximately 11 hospitals, per se, and you serve a lot of different communities. As it relates to the impact of the virus and the response between these communities, would you be able to comment on how you've seen differences? And you touched on some of that as it related to the nursing homes and, and some of the challenges that may have existed and how you've overcome those. And what does the word systemness look like you in a situation like this? Because again, healthcare systems, depending on where you are and what you do, it's healthcare's practice at a local level at best. And what is suitable in some spaces or parts of the country and may not be in others. So we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts around how you've seen it different in the different communities that you're serving in the Georgia area, as well as how the focus on the system, this aspect of it is, Carrie, please. Sure, great question. And I think that has been uh, the fundamental question all of the healthcare systems have asked over the years, which is um, the, what is the appropriate balance between um, 
you know, local uh, and system. And I'm I'm really um, proud to work for an organization who uh, respects and nurtures systemness and understanding that um, best practice sharing amongst each other is um, the best way that all of us can get better because it's the right thing to do for our patients and it's the right thing to do for our teams. Healthcare is local, and and so our focus on you know every patient we serve, um, and our brand is really around uh, is people care. So um, each of the hospitals serve different communities, and those communities were impacted by COVID in slightly different ways, as we've seen across the entire country. New York is a perfect example. Um, we also had. Um, colleagues in South Georgia who, um, and a, by an organization, Phoebe Putney, who is led by another fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, who was impacted greatly uh, by COVID. So in all of our different communities, it, you know, it took perhaps one individual traveling or one individual who went to a, a, a potentially a church service. Um, to potentially um, ex expand or, or spread uh, COVID-19. And no blame on those individuals because this was before everything we know about the disease is known today. Um, so we did have um, what are quote unquote some hotspot locations at a few of our facilities um, who were impacted early on in, in the February and March timeframe. And we had some facilities who didn't see any positive cases um, until uh, much later on. Um, so, but the great thing about our system is that we were able to um, share those best practices about how do you screen visitors on the front door? How do you handle the conversations um, of, around visitation? Um, how do we effectively communicate to our team members about the ever-changing guidance around PPE? Um, how do we ensure that one location who may have an abundance of um, N95s, um, because there's a variety of N95 sizes, if they have uh, more N95s than they need, how do we get that over to another location who might not have this, the supply that they need for, for the the days to come. So systemness has not shown any brighter, I think, than during during this time. And I would say it was even beyond the, the system. And I think it's, um, you know, the power, and I know Deb will speak to this about the power of ACHE. We have um, colleagues that are in New York who were very much on the forefront of, of um, and front lines of, of this pandemic and continue to be um, I can't tell you the number of conversations, um, la late night text messages, policies and procedures, um, hey, watch out for this, this is what we've learned. The power of sharing uh, with our colleagues within ACHE and other systems has been um, immeasurable. And we were then able to take that to um, the rest of the Wellstar Health System. Um, I, I would be definitely met and continue to meet on a daily basis around those best practices um, as we've shifted from being on the, um, the leading ed edge of uh, surge to, to now recovery uh, and resilience as we continue to treat uh, the pandemic patients who are suffering from the pandemic, um, also um, 
you know, the state is reopening uh, back up. So um, we're trying to, um, uh, I guess, be comfortable in our bipolar world that we are in today. Yeah, and thanks, Gary, for touching on that last topic about getting back to the reopening part of it. When the Governor Brian Kemp decided to open it a couple of weeks ago, I believe, yeah, I, I'm sure as an organization you were sitting and thinking about the challenges that may pose, not only just as you described to the frontline providers and you as leadership staff, but also to the communities and feeling the confidence again to feel it's safe to be able to come back in knowing what was going on. So the way that you've been able to share with us what your organization has done in preparation as well as the active and the future is very commendable. So kudos again and thank you for sharing that. Deborah, I wanted to say thank you for your leadership of the ACHE and everything that you've been doing over the last period of time that you've been there, which has been quite extensive, especially during this time of crisis, something extremely unique since it's affecting the world and the country as a whole. During your tenure, you've seen various crises happen at local levels throughout the country, some due to natural disasters such as Katrina and Hurricane Sandy in New York, some other due to uh, terrorist activities related to certain situations in certain cities and always healthcare leadership has had to set, step up and lead. And But this is extremely unique in that it's affecting all different parts of the country at the same time, albeit in different ways. And with that and the 50,000 members that we have within the organization, I'd love to hear from you in terms of some of the thoughts that you've gotten back from them and the themes that you've heard from the various leaders and members are, are all over the country, please. Thank you, Navesh. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm so glad you started with Kiri because clearly she is the star of the show. And I, and I mean that in every dimension. I mean, those of us at ACHE uh, obviously are very committed to supporting leaders and those on the front lines. Uh, but again, the real heroes are those out in the field and, and doing the great work of patient care and saving lives. And so we're we're very respectful of that and admire that. And obviously, every day we feel grateful to be able to work through such a great community. So let me also say thanks to Change Healthcare. We've enjoyed a great partnership with Change Healthcare, and we're proud to be, uh, you know, partners with you, uh, Change Healthcare being a premier corporate partner. So we're very excited to have this opportunity to talk with you. And, and it's fun for Carrie and I because we don't often get a chance to be on uh, webinars together. So, so this will be great to be able to have time to dialogue with you. So uh, in terms of what we're hearing from members and, and really the avenues with which we've extended information to leaders has really been through a series of free webinars that we're doing, podcasts, and, and obviously we're doing some surveying among our members as well, including our uh, board and our regents and chapter leaders who, who also are on the front line. So, you know, I would say overall, when you really look across the country, what we're hearing kind of depends on where you're at, um, you know, the levels of contagion are, are different in every community, um, and, and yet we're hearing a lot of similar themes across the country. Um, you know, Carrie mentioned New York, and I, and I just want to start by saying our, our chairman this year is Michael Fasina, who um, runs New York Presbyterian Hospital in Westchester, uh, Lawrence Hospital specifically, and 
And I think we've all had the benefit of learning a lot from Michael and his team because early on they were really um, in the center of, of one of the uh, worst contagions in the country. And of course the spread of that and the tempo and pace of how they needed to respond really was, I think, instructional for the rest of us in terms of what we needed to think about. And, you know, Kiri mentioned the late night texting and all of those things that were going on. I know I was getting calls from people about, can you find us nurses? Can you find us physicians? And I'm like, wow, this is, this is really out of my pay grade. You know, uh, I, I'm not sure how to do this. And here again, this is where the benefit of the community really shines and really thrives. So, you know, as Kerry also noted, I think the demands on the supply chain, capacity, PPE, you know, how to use it, um, you know, how to conserve it, testing, ventilators, reallocating staff, um, how to build capacity for COVID, not only within the hospitals themselves, but across the regions, um, leveraging other kinds of sites that are certainly unconventional, like hotels and dorm rooms and things like that. And I think the other centering theme, which Carrie also noted, is this idea of really taking care of the front lines, making sure that the workforce is safe, is safe. Uh, you know, many of those people on the front lines didn't want to go home to their families and their loved ones for fear of spreading the infection. So really taking care of the physical and emotional well-being and safety of workforce is certainly, I think, a prominent uh, and central theme. The other central theme I would note is really communication. We all know that sending is not the same as receiving. So uh, really activating all kinds of dimensions of communication, understanding that people receive information in different ways and really making sure that people were well-informed, whether it be the workforce or the community or the patients themselves. Uh, I think others would also note, you know, transparency was really important. Part of being a leader is being authentic and making sure that people have the right information at the right time. And then the other thing that I would say has really, that really has emerged more recently is this idea of really what's next you know as we think about managing covid and living with covid how how are we all going to address the financial challenges that were brought upon the industry really uh because you know we were not able to provide care in the way that we had hoped so i know it was recently reported from march uh through the end of june uh there was about a 200 and, uh 20.2 billion dollar loss uh in healthcare overall and of course um that's that's concerning uh not only were uh you know cash flow a problem but obviously a lot of people had to furlough people and do a lot of other things that I'm sure were tough decisions and decisions leaders did not want to make and then of course there's this notion of too of how do you get back to taking care of people what kind of what kind of confidence are patients going to have about the safety of our hospitals and our healthcare organizations? And how do we make sure that people get the care that they might have opted out beforehand, but really need, uh, we really need to get back to now? Um, and that includes, you know, taking care of the underserved, taking care of those 
we know that one of the effects of COVID has been the um, under uh, representative effect on minorities and other uh, populations that have been in need. So certainly, how do we make sure that healthcare gets delivered in a safe environment going forward? And I think it's often been said, you know, that healthcare will likely won't get back to normal, but will create a new normal. So what does that new normal look like? Certainly, it will be more digital, more ambulatory, with uh, a fair amount of discipline and cost controls attention to workforce uh, and, and safety certainly being the guiding light for all of us. So th those are some of the things that I would say that we're learning, uh, Navesh, and what we're hearing. Uh, and, and again, uh, we're learning every day. And so I doubt our, our lessons will stop here. We're looking forward uh, to what's next and helping to support leaders um, going forward. Uh, that's that's thank you very very well said and the biggest takeaway for me is the relationships we have with the leaders through the members and leaders of the ACH community and being able to lean on them and communicate and share and understand and hear what we are seeing from the different organizations and the challenges that they're facing and being able to use that information for the leaders like Carrie and other leaders all over the country who are challenged in their local markets. I mean, the biggest takeaway for me right there was the communication aspect of it, Deborah, and the challenge that poses just because there's so much coming out and everybody's so worried about what they're hearing, what they're reading, what they're seeing. How do you process all of that? How do you keep people abreast of what's going on, but allow them to do what they need to do as it relates to patient care? How do the organizations have to function operationally in the current environment and as they reopen the fears of what has been going on as it relates to the staff that they have, um, the operational side, sometimes furloughs and layoffs, what's coming up next when we reopen, how do we reopen? And I want to take a moment to say thank you again to you, Deborah, for the resources through the COVID um, resources that are provided through the ACHE. And I recommend everybody take a chance to go back and get on some of these webinars and listen to the various leaders that uh, the organization has set up webinars through and listen to the challenges that they've had to overcome and how they're dealing with them and get a real up close and personal view of what's going on in the local markets. It's, it's very powerful, it's very humbling, but it's also very, very hard to not appreciate the challenges in a very personal manner. And then it changes the dimension of how you, when you get to hear it from some of these executives. So thank you to you and the ACHE for making those available. And I hope that everybody can use those. And last but not the least, what you said about the frontline workers and providing the wellness for them. This is a tremendously challenging time for everybody taking care of patients as well as others in the organization. And the mental health and the social aspects of this cannot be forgotten for the frontline workers. The thoughts around the challenges associated with having to deal with patients on a daily basis, what it means to not have family members nearby, but the staff having to be the proxies, the staff having to think about their own loved ones when they go home, all those things can't be forgotten. So it's tremendous information from your part, Deborah, and thank you for sharing that. Carrie, Nash, I'm gonna... Before you move on, can I just sure. uh, remind your listeners that all of those great webinars, and I appreciate the shout out, I, I think that's 
great that you mentioned uh, that at ACHE.org, our COVID Resource Center has all those webinars listed. Um, and, and Change Healthcare was featured, as you know, on telehealth, which is a really important dimension of the work going forward. And uh, Carrie's uh, CEO, Candace Saunders, was also featured. So there's a lot of great information. It's all free, and we hope that your listeners will take advantage of it. Well, thank you, Deborah, for saying that again. I, I really recommend everybody listening to take it and go back to that, to what Deborah has stated at the ACHE.org and going through the COVID resources. They're excellent webinars, wonderful, insightful knowledge, and again, gets you up close and personal with the front lines as close as possible from the leaders of the organizations. And again, thank you for making that available and to your team. Carrie, I'm going to pivot to you. I'd just like to talk to you about how your organization is utilizing business relationships as it relates to some of these challenges that we're talking about. You know, how you and your organization are working collaboratively with the payers or with your supply chain and the technology providers, because everything is different now. And all of a sudden, everybody used to talk about where supply chain was and it's been reborn again and how we've had to become creative and the challenges associated with it. You talked about some of it as it related to PPEs earlier. Deborah talked about the the technology component of healthcare and as it moves forward into the digital era, it's sort of being accelerated due to the needs of what the environment looks like. And I think a lot of that is tied to the comfort levels of patients feeling comfortable to be able to come back into an organization with the appropriate resources and feeling confident that the biggest fear that they have today is I don't want to go to the hospital because I might catch COVID. And as you've reopened over the last three weeks or so, how do you reassure the public and work with the other entities that collaborate with your organization and how you do that? We'd love to hear how you've been thinking about that, planning about that, and doing that. Great question. You know, I mentioned earlier that we are all about uh, people care and team. Uh, you mentioned about business partnerships in particular, about um, uh, what they've been able to, to provide, what they've brought to the table. I will, I will tell you, you know, it, the, the amount of teamwork and the uh, individuals who have reached out from um, all of our partners that we have always worked with, um, from the supply chain partners that we have, uh, laboratory testing um, equipment uh, vendors, drug supply companies, um, it's, and those who we have never partnered with before have uh, reached out to say, how can we help? Um, and, and I would say the vast, vast majority has been, what can we do for you? Let's make this happen. You know, you get the ones or twosies that are trying to um, make a, a very, really strong profit out of, uh, you know, another person's crisis. But um, I would say the vast, vast majority has just been absolutely um, heartwarming uh, to say, here, we just found this uh, new technology, or we have another partner who, another health system we're partnered with that are doing this. Here's some ideas. Um, it, it has been um, absolutely fantastic to see. It has probably exploded my LinkedIn account a little bit more than I'm able to manage. But um, but everybody has um, come to the table, and uh, and I, I just have to pause for a moment and, and talk about um, um, our supply chain. Um, and, and I think you mentioned this about. Um, a lot of the, the heroes work here, highlighting the first responders. Our supply chain team members 
um, have been up into the wee hours of the evening um, and, you know, wee hours of the morning um, trying to get um, different shipments delivered at the right location at the right time to ensure that we provide safe care. Um, Right now, we are much more um, stable and have a really strong pipeline, but when we were um, seeing the surge of, of volume, uh, we had a, a few times where we were moving um, uh, PPE, um, you know, overnight, and they really did a phenomenal job, and our supply chain team members could not do it without um, our partners and vendors. Um, and I also want to give um, a shout-out to other um relationships that we have built. And and I uh Deb mentioned uh Candace Saunders, our fantastic uh chief executive officer at Wellstar. Uh she and the other system CEOs and Metro Atlanta, we are competitors, yes, but I would say the teamwork, the the partnerships of and sharing across um the competitors to have a united uh, response to how are people handling PPE, helping each other out if somebody's struggling getting PPE, policies, procedures, approaches, testing, um, a lot of shared partnership um, with our local competitors, but also with um, state and local government. And I know, um, you know, Governor Kemp got some um, maybe a, a few black eyes in the um, public press, um, but he's a tough guy, um, has been um, with us all along, listening, un um, understanding, um, and has brought the National Guard in to support um, the testing within the community and um, trying to get us access to uh, needed equipment that uh, we otherwise uh, did not necessarily have access to. So um, really great partnerships, both on the, the private side, the public side, and DPH in particular, our partnership in working um, with those nursing homes who are not affiliated with Wellstar, but who, um, if they had an, had an um, struggling themselves to find uh, PPE or testing capabilities for the residents, our partnership with the, the local um, departments of public health has been uh, better than I think it ever has been, and I'm looking forward to that continuing going forward. Um, and then lastly, our partnership on the technology side, Deb mentioned uh, Change Healthcare in particular about their work in, in telehealth and telemedicine, um, to be able to stand up virtual health for all of our providers who uh, were modifying their schedules in their offices, essentially overnight. Uh, and then also a, a few other changes that we had to make in our electronic health record, essentially overnight as well, to ensure that we were providing the best, most appropriate care for our um, COVID, um, COVID patients and our patients under investigation. We had to change workflows. Um, that we've never had to, to use before, and I'm happy to say they've been done safely and in very strong partnership uh, uh, with our partners at Epic and um, other IT technology platforms. So partnerships have really been a real um, 
uh, a kind of key word, I guess, a key takeaway that we always had partnerships before, but they have just blossomed um, during this very challenging time. And I'm looking forward to those partnerships continuing as we move forward um, in the in the new normal um, that Deb uh, coined earlier. Um, Ash, can I build on what Carrie's talking about as well? Please. Um, because I think what sh the the power of partnerships, I think, it, it has been really evident, and I she did such a great job of explaining it. I don't need to reiterate all the dimensions that um, she noted, but I I do want to expand on a few concepts because you know some of the best innovations I think that we've seen are the glimmers of hope, not only about people's commitment to help patients and and save lives but also just to be inventive and and take old paradigms that can be applied in new ways and i'm thinking not only about things that are going on within the systems but but this notion of community partnerships and it's happening across industries you know with business with um you know from land's end and nordstrom's and all kinds of people making masks in their garage to, you know, the hotels and convention centers who have set up ICUs in various communities. I know I've gotten calls from the Army to wanted to get connected to people because the Medical Service Corps was going to be deployed to help certain communities with COVID. So I think the partnership aspect is really, really powerful. And I think it's happening across industries, certainly happening across associations. We have partnerships with other associations like we've never had before, um, regular calls, you know, the American Society of Anesthesiology, the American College of Surgeons, uh, AHA, really trying to understand how to pull together to consolidate for impact. And the relationships that I think healthcare people are building, not only with their state and local officials, but with each other, um, certainly those relationships are, are going to help healthcare uh, reset uh, as we move forward. So I, I simply want to underscore the importance of, of what she's talking about. Well, thank you, Deborah. And that, you know, again, it reiterates the importance of it takes a village, the old cliche, and everybody's dealing with something that is so unique and that's impacting so many lives in so many different ways. Uh, and the ability to come together as organizations, as vendor partners, as entities to come together and recognize that we're trying to help the country heal, get back to normal, and bring things together. And it's it's really good to hear about these partnerships. And I hope truly that as we move forward and as we try to get back to some semblance of normal, that the partnerships and the collaboration that we've seen today as a consequence of the crisis don't go away. I think it's imperative to continue those because I think that sort of accelerates the need to show the growth and the development as organizations and partners and recognize that at the end of the day, the ultimate focus is on being able to take care of patients and the communities and the people that we serve. And hopefully that can continue as we move forward. And Deborah, I'd also like to give a comment on the partnerships with the American Society of Anesthesiologists and um, the ACS and others. And one of the webinars that we sponsored a couple of weeks ago that was on there, wonderful panel that talked about, you know, the reopening of organizations for elective surgeries, sponsored through us as well as meaning ACHE and the ASA. 
I, I highly recommend everybody to go back and get a listen to it. You had some wonderful thought leadership on that webinar from the CEO of UW, the vice chair of surgery at Cedar sinai the president of the ASA, wonderful thought leaders in the different fields, anesthesia, surgery, executive level, CEO sponsorship, nursing. It's important for others to hear that because they get to see the level of complexity associated with what's going on today and how many people are involved with the decision-making as you move forward to be able to open up and be able to collaborate in the various specialties. And again, it changes based on the local market you deal with. Another great webinar that's out there for people to listen to and learn from on the ACHE.org website. The other thing, Navesh, that I think will um, be everlasting is just the new order of interprofessional relationships. Yeah, you know, we, we've always known that clinical and non-clinical leaders needed to work closely together, but I think, I think this particular pandemic has really accelerated that uh, to a new order and a new magnitude, and, and I think that will be good for healthcare. I agree. I agree. The supply chain aspect of it is just a thought in terms of the challenges that have been posed due to this crisis. It'll be interesting to see cross collaboration to other industries to see how they've managed their supply chains and what can we learn from them or their partnerships or how they do it successfully and what can we do to prepare ourselves to the best that we can in the event that, God forbid, something like this should ever happen again. And again, this is, we're all learning as we're going along and the ACHE through its partnerships and relationships and members and leadership all over the country and various leaders in the various markets it's a wonderful way of crowdsourcing in many ways that people have come together at a time of crisis and sharing what they're dealing with and trying to give everybody a sense of what it looks like, but also the ability to look at it and say, hey, maybe I should try that in my market. Maybe I didn't think about that. And it's it's really, really important to continue those as we move forward, as you said, Deborah. Absolutely. Gary, you talked a little bit about the telehealth um, expansion and the boom that's come as a consequence of going on what's going on here. And Telehealth has been around for a while, and obviously there's been regulatory limitations around who can see who where, and obviously the financial challenges uh, on the back end of that that have always been across organizations and providers' minds. And due to what we're dealing with today, it's completely changed the approach to the being able to see patients. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, and, I, and also as it relates to the current situation, but also as we move forward and seeing what it's going to look like in the future, even though things are slowly getting back to normal, the role that you see that telehealth will play in terms of patients, whether telehealth alone, remote monitoring, and other things that you can think about based on your organization and the partnerships you have in your community? It's such a fantastic question. And I think um, our adoption rate uh, across um, the country has been um, slower um, than I think some of us would have liked to have seen. I think um, many healthcare systems um, have been either playing around with telehealth or have a really strong program or are really struggling to get launched. And, and you know, this, this pandemic has shifted and required us to take a, a, a leap forward. And I'm excited about that. It's been, because um, it wasn't just that um, getting the patients used to it because, you know, all of us are experience our mobile devices and um, just like we're doing today, talking on a podcast. I think our consumers 
um, have been, um, you know, craving this type of interaction. But we have um, maybe in some cases, you know, uh, a fear of the unknown or resistance to change. And this pandemic has given us that leap forward. And um, I don't think we're ever um, going back. And we also are able to prove it to ourselves that we can stand up technology um, really very quickly. And um, uh, that is probably one of the um, one of the more exciting things um, of this. And not just, you know, we've been doing telestroke and, and um, telemental health for a long period of time, but um, our virtual care on the primary care side, specialty side, um, the adoption is much faster um, now. And we have providers saying that, um, that they realize this is actually a lot more fun uh, and a lot more useful than originally they, they thought. So I, I think we have some full-time converts into telehealth. Um, but I do have to say, you know, telehealth will only get you so far. There are, there are hands-on patient care that will still continue uh, absolutely to be needed. It's just finding that appropriate balance. Um, that meets our consumers' needs and also our providers' uh, needs as well. So the schedules are going to look different for our providers going forward. But I also want to highlight something that we hear a little bit about, about uh, telehealth where the patient's at home or wherever they may be, um, hopefully sheltering in place and being compliant um, with their PPE. Um, but also, we've um, done some different things inside of the, the hospital that uh, we had to ramp up very quickly. Um, so we actually distributed um, tablets um, to all of our hospitals, um, a significant number of, of tablets that had the ability for physicians and nursing staff, chaplains, family, um, others to connect with patients if they were in isolation. And we know how challenging, um, just from a mental health perspective, isolation can be for patients. Uh, and having a tablet, being able to see their loved one either through FaceTime or, or Zoom or whatever uh, that um, whatever technology individuals may have, but also giving the access to providers and to chaplains and to others who might not um, uh, go into the a room that um, uh, uh, is uh, fully isolated, but able to still connect in that way. So we've kind of taken both virtual health outside of the four walls, but also have it within the, the four walls so individuals can talk um, to their loved ones and at, at any point in time that they see fit, whether from their mobile device or for the tablets um, that we have um, installed. And I don't, I definitely do not see that going away. And in fact, we're already working on steps to enhance what the tablet have, uh, tablets have to offer um, uh, via education, mental health, um, meditation, um, you know, holistic medicine therapy. I think there's it's a endless opportunities, and um, I'm not sure we had tablets before, but they were not dispersed um, at the level uh, that they are today. And I'm excited about that technology uh, coming forward, um, and uh, and it, the future possibilities of it. I also want to highlight um, uh, around prevention and, and treatment measures. Um, and something that is innovative, but um, you know, not necessarily attached to technology, is we have a very phenomenal uh, behavioral health uh, 
service line uh, and a wonderful leader, uh, Dr. Ryan Brashears. Um, and what he, um, this is very challenging for our team on the front lines and for all of us, in particular, very challenging for those who are in critical care, um, nursing, nurses and, and physicians and respiratory therapists. Uh, and, and Ryan took it upon himself uh, to call all of their critical care um, nursing staff uh, and key respiratory therapists who had been in the uh, critical care unit just to check in on them and see how they were doing um, and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation about how they're coping with the stress, ideas, to just to talk and just to listen. And that just speaks volumes to, to who we are as a healthcare system um, and the power that um, that we place on not just um, uh, clinical care, but understanding that um, mental health, behavioral health is a critical aspect to providing uh, true world-class health care. Um, and truly now more, more than ever, not just for our patients, but also for our, our team members and our caregivers. So I wanted to ensure I so highlighted behavioral health work. Oh, that's so very important, Carrie, and that's really, really commendable that what you're doing as an organization for the staff that are taking care of the patients and what they're dealing with every day and making sure they're okay and making sure that they're well taken care of. That's, I mean, that cannot be understated. And this crisis, if not anything else, has shown even more so how important it is, regardless of the circumstances, the value of what they do and how we need to take care of them equally, considering how serious and how tragic in some circumstances this has been for different people, depending on where they are and what they're doing. What you talked about as it relates to tablets is so cool because, again, that solitude and not having family around or not being able to do something and being alone is a horrible feeling. Uh, and the thought of patients being by themselves, not having their loved ones by them, and then also asking the staff to not only care for the patients, but also be that conduit throughout the course of what they're doing is, is a big challenge and a big um, task. And the support that you're showing and sharing both for your patients that your community and your organization is taking care of, as well as the staff that are doing that is, is really, again, once again, highly commendable. So kudos to you again for that. Oh, I don't. I don't take the kudos for it. This is the. This is a team sport, and the innovation that has come out from from the team members has just been just awe inspiring. And I'll, I'll just share um, uh, one of the examples because when you're in PPE and you've got an N95 mask over your face, you've got goggles and a face shield, um, and you're all draped up in your yellow uh, isolation gowns uh, with gloves. Um, you, you don't know who the what the person even looks like. You see their eyes, but that's about it. And so much of our interaction when taking care of, of people is around uh, around trust and, and connectedness. Um, and so some of our team members um, have put pictures of themselves, you know, out of their out of their um, you know their normal what they normally look like um, uh, on their gowns or up on the windows, so our patients can actually see um, who's taking care of them. And it's been um, even from putting little uh, smiley faces on their on their masks 
Um, there's so much of how we normally have taken care of patients that has changed, but the that's ideas that are coming from the from the front lines, and that is one piece I hope we will um, learn how to better foster across the entire country is just the power of the innovation of our team on the front line. Absolutely, and that's a wonderful story because just the fear from the patients for why they're in a hospital and then somebody walking in all gowned up and mask and everything and not being able to see who they are is just sometimes so scary to think about. And if you're in that kind of a situation, then you've got a million thoughts racing through your head outside of the obvious of what you're dealing with and who's taking care of you, but just not knowing who they are and to be able to personalize it in that way is so important. And that's such a cool thing. So that that's really great to hear. You know, as we've talked today, we, we get to see all the challenges that the organizations have had to handle in different ways. And as we move forward, the short-term and the long-term impacts of the pandemic on healthcare institutions cannot be lost, right? And we've got to start thinking about what it's going to look like in the future as far as the new normal goes. We've got so many different problems from a social aspect to a healthcare aspect and otherwise and beyond. Some of it is tied to the unemployment statistics that are out there and the fear of not wanting to go into a hospital, even though I do have insurance. Now I'm unemployed and I don't have insurance. What am I going to do? And to be able to not lose patients through the cracks due to the social limitations and or financial challenges. As an organization, uh, I'd love to hear from you and thoughts around what you and the organization at Wellstar are doing as it relates to that. Because I, just to touch on a quick story uh, here in New York, and we all may have come across it at one time, a nurse here had said that one of the things that one of their patients that they were taking care of as it related to COVID, one of their biggest fear was who's going to pay my bill and how am I going to pay this? So the thoughts that are going through patients' minds and organizations' minds as well are the challenges associated with the financial stability and the ability to take care of that both from a patient perspective and, and an organization and trying to help the community move forward through this and how do you get ready for the new era, the new normal, whether it means, you know, getting the electives back on board, getting patients back into your system, more importantly, making sure that they feel comfortable enough to do that. And I think that's the single most uh, or the single largest challenge that any organization is going to have is the confidence within their patient community to feel it's okay to come back. And I'd love to hear your thoughts around the short-term and the long-term impacts as well as what it looks like as far as the new normal goes for Wellstar. Thank you, and um, I'll be sure to pull out my crystal ball and check it a little bit, but <laughs> right now it's a little foggy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll say it's it's wonderful to hear about the potential of a vaccine, um, though I know it was a, a small sample size. You know, I think uh, one of the um, only thing that's stronger than fear is hope. Um, and so we'll keep focused on on the brightness of, of, of the future. Right now, we um, have started back um, up our what we like to call it essential surgery, because I think it's been fun to have conversations with individuals about elective cardiovascular surgery. I'm not sure anybody raises their hands to pop in for <laughs> you know um, a, a potential major surgery, but essential surgery um, has been started back up um, because people still have broken bones. Uh, people um, still have um, 
um, C-sections and, and, and deliveries. Um, so we've never stopped taking care of uh, patients. But you mentioned something that I believe it is absolutely critical, and it is about people feeling safe. And how do you get people to feel um, safe um, when there's so uh, many unknowns and there's so much communication and information within the community? And I would say this is the perfect time to over-communicate about what we are doing at each of our healthcare systems um, to maintain um, the strictest level of protective equipment uh, and supplies, how we are screening uh, before patients even walk through the doors, when they walk in the door, and then when they walk out the door. That expansion of laboratory testing that we're doing, not just for COVID-19, but also for, for antibody testing. Um, we need to ensure um, that the message around um, safety, um, that people will be safe, do not put off um, necessary um, services. Come to the emergency room when you need emergency services. Come to urgent care. Go to your physician's office. Please do not put it off. The scariest thing that I'm seeing is the level of acuity of patients who are coming through the emergency departments now has never been higher. And it's not just about those who um, believe that they may be exposed um, to COVID. It's patients who are putting off um, shortness of breath, who are putting off, um, you know, the, the signs and symptoms of stroke. Um, they don't, that's the one key takeaway that we need to not just get out um, locally, um, but um, within the state, but also, also nationally, um, just don't put off um, necessary care. Um, so safe, it's all about safety, getting the message out, uh, ensuring that, um, those who are trusted, and physicians and nurses have always been the top professions trusted by, um, by our community. And that has not changed. Um, so um, it's all about rebuilding trust and safety. And again, for, for Wellstar, uh, we've been honing in on those messages, uh, communicating those messages, and we'll continue to do so. Um, we are seeing many more patients coming back into our medical offices, which is great. Not to where it was pre-COVID, but we're going uh, back up in the right direction. We are doing more surgeries um, for lower risk patients. Um, that were um, de deemed to meet um, criteria by our medical infection uh, preventionist experts and uh, infectious disease specialists. Um, so we are providing more services, but our volumes are definitely lower right now um, than they were pre-COVID, and that's understandable. Um, but as you were talking about, this is, uh, Deb mentioned some pretty astounding numbers about how COVID-19 has impacted the entire healthcare industry. And, and we are not immune, um, but our focus right now is taking care of our patients and our team members and um, ensuring that we are doing what's right and safe for the, for the short term so that we will be here as we always have um, for our patients who are going to need us into the future. So just a, a few thoughts um, to answer your question. No, thank you, Carrie. And, you know, this is, as we've said, and we've all lived and we're all living unprecedented times and any models, as you said, and, you know, 
jokingly at the beginning about the crystal ball. That's the reality of it. This is all new and we don't know what it's going to hold. We didn't know what it was going to be like as we're going through it today. And we don't know what it's going to be like moving forward. And the only thing that we can do is what we're doing today is supporting our communities and supporting our staff and leading by example, which you, you and your CEO are doing. And it's a wonderful thing to see the success that's coming with that and confidence that is being built within the communities to feel good to come back and know that their organization is there to take care of them. Some of the other thoughts that I was wondering, I'd just like to get a couple of words from you in terms of how the role of technology and data has helped manage during this crisis and how you think that it could help moving forward. Because some of the things that stand out are the pop health and the health disparities that exist and some have come to the forefront as a consequence of what we're dealing with today, depending on the communities that you're taking care of, but also seeing if telehealth now gives us the ability to see into the 80% of what goes on with the patient's life that we've always never had visibility to, right? The statistics say that 20% of what goes on in a patient's life is only in the doctor's office or the provider's office, and the other 80% is not something we have visibility to, and therefore we can't participate in and help. But now with the role of telehealth, do you see a role of that changing a little bit to help communities better as they go through this process and moving forward? Something that wasn't there before. I absolutely do. And I think um, I think we were already um, as a country and, and as a system moving in this direction. Um, it, Wellstar has an accountable care organization, has for many years, very successful. And we have a, um, a large population health team that has been analyzing um, the data, um, not just for all of our patient populations in all of our different communities. I would say data has played a uh, enormous role um, from the very beginning um, and was, um, I would say, um, uh, Candace was a very strong stalwart to ensure that the data that we were looking at was as accurate as, as humanly possible and the, a lot of conversations around very specific definitions, how we were measuring things in comparison to others, um, and how we were ensuring that uh, we had a pulse on um, every patient, every day, all of our laboratory tests and the results and the turnaround times, um, our team members who was potentially um, exposed within the community community who might have been exposed, and this was early on, to patients before full PPE went into place. I'm, uh, I'm happy to say by the extreme kind of diligence around our data, we were able to act quickly and probably in advance of some of the recommendations uh, around, you know, masking all of our um, all of our team members um, and ensuring that we put into place um, um, extra preventative measures on um, doing surgeries with um, with uh, PAPR devices, additional PPE uh, for those um, cases. Um, so data hugely important, and the great thing in again, as I was mentioning earlier, is it showed us once we got focused around um, particular data elements and the problem that we are trying to solve, the um, uh, innovation of our team to make adjustments on the fly and present um, really effective and real-time um, information has really been astounding. And 
I don't see that changing. I think we now have a very strong appetite <laughs> for understanding our populations in a in a um, in a much larger way. So where in the past, I think a lot of the population health work was around the accountable care organization, and to a broad sense, our entire population we were serving. I would say um, we now know how much more information is out there, and it's got people asking a lot of different questions, and curiosity is the, the first step um, to innovation. So I'm, I'm excited about, about the technology moving forward, not just within Wellstar, but what we're going to be able to do in partnership with um, ACHE and other health systems across the country and all of our technology firms and what they might be able to bring to the table. I'm excited to see, see what uh, Change Healthcare continues to come up with as well as a very strong partner for us. That's great. And I'm happy that, uh, as you've stated throughout this conversation, even though this has been a terribly challenging period. It's also brought out the best in people, both on all sides of the organizations that you're partnering with, your communities, and it's really good to see that the vision is to make sure that it doesn't stop, and that is so, so important. Thank you again. Deborah. I'd like to pivot again to you and get your thoughts on how the ACHE has been supporting healthcare leaders um, during this crisis through COVID-19 and how you envision the future and what it's going to look like because of what we're dealing with today and, and how we can learn and move forward into the future. Thanks, Navesh. And I think uh, a lot of the themes that Carrie has really been emphasizing here really reinforce for me uh, a couple of things. One, one is that um, we're, a lot of the bright spots that we're seeing um, are really all about leadership, and leadership comes in a lot of different forms. We've always said this is a profession uh, that is focused on business, but this is a business with a calling and with heart, and I think we're seeing the value of uh, people, relationships, collaborations in ways we've never seen before. And so the heart of leaders, I think, is really shining bright. Um, there's a reason why our logo is for leaders who care, and I think Carrie and others exemplify that, um, as you do, Navesh, as a newly minted FACHE, I might add. And our commitment, you know, is going to remain vigilant. We are going to continue to connect leaders. We are going to continue to provide education. Um, we're going to continue to support the fellowship program and extend deadlines career support for those furloughed, um, and we're going to reinvent ourselves just as healthcare is reinventing ourselves with, you know, e-learning and e-mentoring and all kinds of other options because we don't want uh, people to feel that ACHE is not in their back pocket. So um, we will do that. We will work with our 77 chapters across uh, the country to really provide great services locally. And again, I think we're all looking forward to being able to connect, even though our definition of how we connect may look a little different. Uh, but again, I, I am hopeful about the future. I am confident about the future. We may have questions and, and not as many answers, but uh, that's what keeps uh, healthcare leaders engaged and moving is the quest to find what's best for patients and what's best for healthcare. So, you know, I want to thank Change Healthcare for all you're doing, 
uh, as a premier corporate partner and all the great leaders like Carrie who are out there um, and taking care of patients and, and helping us navigate to a new future That's uh, that will, I believe, be promising and hopeful uh, and represent all what's best about our field. So very well said, Deborah. And we really appreciate your leadership and support through this time period from an organizational perspective and for all its members. The communication part of it, which you talked about earlier, is so critical and leading by example is important. And you've done that through your communications, as well as the support that you've provided through the COVID portal, as well as the local chapters that have been, we've all been participants in in one way or the other. And I personally want to thank my New York chapter, the Health Leaders of New York, Mike Vecina, Saul Torres, Andy Wordley, Sam Lim, various leaders that are here, past and present, Tim Gordon. Everybody has their own stories of who their chapters are and the relationships and support that they've built over the years through them. And more than anything, times like this have brought out the value of those that you've all shared today. And the continued leadership and support is something that we look towards and we're grateful to have. And learning, growing, and coming away from this better is, I think, going to be one of the most critical pieces of this. So thank you, Deborah, again. Thank you. Carrie, longtime member and fellow, right, of the ACAG. And, and it's, it's a wonderful thing seeing what you've achieved through your career. Would love to hear your thoughts on how the ACAG has helped advance your leadership skills and prepare you to manage in an, in an epidemic like what we're dealing with today, please. Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. And I just um, echo Deb's uh, comments and thank you for giving a shout out to the New York, uh, New York chapter. Uh, you know, I have been a, um, a steadfast uh, uh, member of and, and fellow for ACG for over, over 20 years. Um, and it's commitment to lifelong learning, um, leadership skills, having and hearing from the best, you know, executive healthcare leaders out there that have gone before and the challenging times that they've gone through and what pulled them through and their, um, their approach to taking care of their team, to doing what's right the ethical guidelines uh, and um, a commitment that we have as uh, members and fellows of ACG to um, a code of ethics. It is um, the foundation for any, any leader in, in healthcare. Uh, it, in order to lead individuals and have the wonderful privilege to lead an organization during, during this challenging time, um, we need um, all of those lessons from the 100 plus years um, of all the individuals who participate and are members of ACG. So, um, you know, I, I will also say, you know, just those 20 years of just going through this, I don't think all of us have been through anything quite like this, but the great, the good thing, I don't know if you can say great things during pandemics, but, um, is reaching out and connecting with others across the country. And I shared this um, with, with Deb earlier that I uh, it, um, was on the phone connecting uh, and texting with a, a kind of a group chat for leaders in New York, leaders in California, leaders in Texas, and leaders in Michigan. So kind of represented um, each part of the, 
kind of the country. And then we had somebody who is uh, in Colorado. So I think we were representing almost all um, components of the, of the country, just hearing what are they doing? What are they doing differently? How are they approaching it? Um, how are they um, uh, 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 approaching this with their boards? How are they approaching the government and state uh, regulators? How are they handling, handling the CARES Act um, that was coming forward? It highlighted once again just the power of individuals coming together, staying connected. And ACG is the catalyst. It is the connector. It always has been for me. It just further solidified it um, for me during this pandemic. And that's been reiterated by my colleagues. Um, and I think through this shared experience that all of us will remember for the rest of our lives, we are forever bonded in a whole new, in a whole new way, for better or worse. Uh, and I'm glad that ACG is a part of that bonding experience. Um, and so, and I know ACG will continue to help all of us learn as we go forward because it's not over yet. Um, it is about recovery. It's, it, it is about resilience and it is about that new normal. Um, and as um, we move forward, that crystal ball might become a bit more clear um, through the help of um, ACG and the, and the networks we've been able to develop over the years. Great, and so very well said again as well. It's, it's so important to have that support and that leadership and that guidance and to be able to lean on fellow thought leaders and fellow leaders who are dealing with these crises and being able to learn and, and understand what they're dealing with and trying to apply that in, in the different spaces that you're in. And based on what you and Deborah have shared today, that's become clearly evident that those relationships matter now more than ever always mattered and will continue to matter and the importance of being able to foster and grow those and be able to lean on those resources and people wherever they may be is a wonderful thing to have just before we close carrie and deborah i wanted to say thank you again to both of you you're extremely busy we appreciate the time that you've taken to speak today and what you've shared with us is wonderful and it's just really really important for everybody to understand what it is that you're doing the challenges that were put in front of you, how you stepped up, how you've recognized the value of the teams that are with you, that are going on this journey with you, how you've leveraged them, learned from them, shared with them, grown with them is so critically important. And I, I can't say enough good things about what you're doing in your respective spaces and how important it is. Maya Angela once said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did but we'll never forget how you made them feel. And both of you have very clearly shown the value of the people that you work with, that are around you, that support you, and the importance of that and helping that and helping foster that and nurture that. And I, again, commend both of you for that. And I'm extremely grateful for having the pleasure and the privilege to speak to both of you today. And would like, again, on behalf of Change Healthcare, to say thank you for being available today. Any closing thoughts from both of you before we go and before I wrap up? Thank you all for the opportunity. I want to thank um, Deb in particular. Again, um, such a uh, mentor and a role model for all of us. And I just wanted to leave because we're it's a challenging time. And this is a, um, you know, in Georgia, everything kind of centers around football. So I had to use a quote related to football. You know, we do our board meetings around football. But this is a good one from Vince Lombardi. Leaders are made. They are not born. 
They are made by hard effort, which is the price all of us must pay to achieve any goal worthwhile. So I think we're all in this together. And um, I look forward to this wonderful opportunity this morning, especially sharing the, sharing the time with Deb. And uh, my best to you and to change healthcare and to everybody who's listening, just stay safe out there. As I said in the beginning, and I'll say in the end, clearly uh, Carrie is a star, and we're so grateful to have her as part of our leadership team navigating ACHE's future. And I don't have a quote to share, but I, you know, a sentiment to share for sure. And that is, you know, we are enormously proud of what everyone is doing. Um, I am amazed every day. Um, there are heroes in every corner of our industry, um, and certainly those that are on the front lines. And I want to thank all of your listeners for all, all that they're doing, and certainly um, Change Healthcare for all, for all you're doing. We're looking forward to navigating the road ahead, and know that uh, there will be plenty of opportunity uh, to innovate and navigate and support and care for people as we never have before. So thank you again. And thank you both. And again, I want to say thank you to both of you, especially to the frontline workers everywhere. Everybody everywhere is making a contribution to what's going on and cannot be forgotten for the services that they do, whether it's the food services staff, the IT staff, the clerical staff, the janitorial staff, the technicians, the therapists, the nurses, the doctors, the EMT staff, the police, the firefighters, anybody and everybody that's having to deal and cope with this right now, a huge thank you for everything that you're doing and during this time of crisis and everything that you're being done that is being done by you is something that we greatly appreciate. In closing, just to cross the T's and dot the I's, um, just want to share a few things that were talked about previously. The ACHE has created an online resource center for a wealth of information and education including frontline leader responses across the country. Please visit ache.org forward slash COVID, C-O-V-I-D, for webinar recordings, podcasts, blog posts, articles, and more. <laughs> Obviously, this includes the recording of the joint webinar uh, that we are doing today, as well as uh, one which Change Healthcare hosted uh, last week. We encourage you to follow all three of the organizations, the American College of Healthcare Executives, the WealthStar Health System, and Change Healthcare on social media to receive more great resources and to see what progress emerges from these events. Again, I would like to say thank you to you, Deborah, and to you, Carrie, for your time, to the whole ACHE family, the WellStar community, and as well as the Change Healthcare family for making this possible and the opportunity to be able to speak to both of you and wish you well, take care, be safe, and be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.